Welcome to New Money, I'm Brian Hirsch and due to the amount of calls and emails I've had following last week's program on the subject, I'll continue focusing this evening on estate planning. Last week I discussed with Tony Davey the implications of soft loans to a trust and the implications of Section 7C. We also touched on the change to estate duty and donations tax. And we also discussed whether a trust is still a good estate planning tool. We never spent enough time on that, so tonight I'd like to continue discussing and really talk about the advantage and disadvantage of a trust. And joining me are my gurus, Gordon Stewart, Managing Director of Acura, and Harry Joffe, Head of Legal Services of Discovery Life. Harry, welcome back. Hope you had a good Thank run you. in your half marathon. Thank a good you, time. And Gordon, Hello. happy anniversary Thank day. What's it, Independence much, yeah. Day in Mauritius? Oh, well. 50 years. Are, are, you, are you allowed to claim yet a Mauritian citizenship? No, not yet. They haven't he's given me that yet. He's paying 15% tax if yeah. you're Mauritian. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got the same, you've got now got the same uh, uh, VAT as we That's have. That's exactly yeah. it. You yeah. guys have upped your VAT to 15%. I feel there's more of a bond between us now. Yeah. Um, Gordon, first question to you. Let's talk, we, we, we touched on trusts. Yes. And you know, the, the trusts have been in limbo for some time, certainly when the Davis Tax Committee recommendations on trusts and whether there are still a good advantages of forming trust. We've now had again an increase in the state duty, thirty percent, twenty-five percent above thirty, 30 million, million yeah. and yeah. it's and it's thirty million and above. It's not from rand one. Yeah. Correct. It, correct. it kicks in. It's a, a staggered amount. So, so let's just talk about first about trust. Is, uh, can you still see trust as a good estate planning tool? If I speak from an offshore perspective, I would say most definitely. If I was looking at it from a local perspective, I think there's always going to be a use for a trust. I'm just not entirely convinced that the benefits that used to exist are still there. Harry? I mean, I think me and Gordon have always said, Brian, that you don't set up a trust just to avoid tax. Mm. Uh, and, and people who are doing that are slowly being caught out by all these changes. I mean, you set up a trust to look after assets for minors, to look after children, to look after vulnerable people. You know, for generation uh, skipping, that kind of thing. Don't do it to avoid a little yeah. bit of tax. That's really not the reason. Yeah, just, just one last thing on that. I've always said that there's a subjective and an objective reason for it. The objective was pretty much to get the tax benefits. The subjective was, as Harry pointed out, you might have a beneficiary who needs to be looked after. A common one is if you had second marriages with children from each marriage and you were concerned that the, if you bequeathed it all to the second spouse that she would give it to her children. So there are still <coughs> reasons why, but from a tax perspective, I'm not convinced that there are as many reasons as there used to. And just minor children. I mean, the old mm. issue of how do you look after minor children, how do you benefit them, how do you pass assets mm. to them. From there, you must have a trust. Mm -hmm. So then let's talk about, even more important then, in estate planning is the will. And one of the questions we've always had on this program is the importance of having an updated will in South Africa. And many people have called us over the years to ask, is it important to have a separate will in its jurisdiction? Yes, and Brian, that's an ongoing debate. And yeah. it depends on so many issues. I mean, for example, and let me unashamedly, we work, well, I work for an insurance company. If you've got an endowment policy offshore, and you've got assets wrapped into your endowment policy, then of course you don't need a will. Because with an endowment policy, you name a beneficiary, on a death and the money pays straight out to the beneficiary, there's no probate required. And we've had quite a few of these cases where people now die, the assets pass straight to the beneficiary or the cash because now the policy ends, and then you don't need a will. So that's one of the reasons where you wouldn't for those kind of assets. And of course it depends on you know, what kind of assets you've got. If you're sitting with major property, then it might require a will. Mm. If you're dealing with like a unit trust here or there or a bank account, you wouldn't need a will for that. 
Gordon, are you still, are you still now that you've been out of this country for some time, are you mm. still convinced that a South African will, will do? your worldwide assets? Yes, it will, uh, to a certain extent. Again, I think we can't really paint this thing with one brush. Um, in fact, Harry's asked me to do a talk at the STEP convention in April. See, I look after my co uh, He's a good man. And he gave me, thanks for the topic, um, why it's necessary or wills from a UK, Europe and US perspective. And I've been doing quite a bit of research into this, and it isn't as easy as no one will is sufficient or you need two wills. Uh, you've got to look at it by on a case-by-case -case mm. scenario. I'll give you a very quick example. Um, so, for example, in Mauritius, if you've got immovable property, you know, these RES resorts that South Africans buy, you have to have a will over there because their requirements for wills are just so much more stringent than what we have here in South Africa. So it would be crazy to try and deal with that immovable property in Mauritius trying to use a South African will. But, but there must be other jurisdictions with similar situations. Yes, there are. I mean, so Jersey, they often say is it's good to have a second will. Uh, for the UK, not entirely necessary, but if you've got immovable property in the UK, you yeah. should have a second will. Um, for Europe, on the other hand, sometimes they say it's not good to have a second will because of the way that the Europeans do it and their forced succession. So, as I say, Brian, you've got to look at it in a case-by-case. Case. But, what is, by yes, but what is important is that your wills tie up. Of course, oh, yeah. and you've got to be careful that one will doesn't cancel the other. You, you have a South or African contradict, will yes. contradict each other because it is the last will you signed that talks maybe talk about your global assets. And again, Brian, that's why we've got so many of our clients that are wrapping it into an endowment policy. It's just so much easier. The endowment policy sits in a Guernsey or a Jersey. The assets can be held anywhere, and it's all wrapped into that policy. You don't have those problems. Mm. Harry, because of your state duty going up to 25% to 30 million, I'm going to give you an opportunity when we come back to actually talk a little bit about <laughs> the discovery life policy, certainly the offshore policy. We'll come back to that. I'll give you time to think about it and work it all out. We're going to take a break. You can call me on 011-483-1518. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to New Money this evening. We're discussing state planning. My guest, Gordon Stewart and Harry Joffe. And you can call us on 011-483-1518. You can also email me at brianh at bdtv.co.za. Before we take our emails, and I did promise our listeners last week and viewers that we will deal with emails. Harry, uh, yeah. state duty up to 25% at 30 million. Right. State planning, liquidity. You've always spoken about the discovery life policy, the offshore yes. policy. Just share with our viewers. Okay, so let's just uh, contrast it. If you've got a local South African policy, because of 33A of the Estate Duty Act, that's a deemed asset in the estate and estate dutyable. So if your estate's above 30 million and you're sitting with a South African policy and your spouse is not the beneficiary, so you don't get the 4Q deduction, that's just increasing your estate duty problem. But if you've got a discovery offshore policy, and we're the only ones that offer it in the country at the moment, it's registered offshore through our Guernsey office, and that is not estate dutyable. It's not a deemed asset because it's not a domestic policy, so it doesn't get caught by 33A, and we got a way to ensure it doesn't get caught by 33D as well. So it's not a deemed asset, it's not a real asset, it's not caught by 33D, it is just simply not estate dutyable. 
And what's so neat about it is you don't have to have your spouse as a beneficiary. Because once you do that, of course, it's an asset in his or her estate and you don't achieve anything. But if you can have the offshore policy pay to a foreign trust and then you've got it out of your estate for good, no estate duty, you can use it for liquidity and no estate duty problem for the heirs that you leave behind. And you've and always that's said... That's where that bottom draw trust You said that you've got a bottom so draw trust. Yeah, correct. It's a, a, it is the offshore trust that Harry is referring to. But the benefit is, as you set it up now, it's got a very low cost to set up. And then for the next five years, there's no charge. Uh, and then at the end of the five years, the client can come back and say, look, either please continue or alternatively terminate it. And we only then start charging our fees when the trust becomes active. So you could really take that bottom draw trust and blend it in perfectly with Harry's offshore life policy. And you've got no estate, you do no worries. And particularly if you've got a minor beneficiary, that's yeah. where Gordon's products are useful. Because you can't have a minor beneficiary, obviously, with a foreign bank account. Mm -hmm. So that trust is a perfect way to benefit the minor offshore. That's a very good, this is really a, a, an extremely... That's almost the perfect solution. Yeah, but, yeah. but uh, there, are, there are some complications. You need to get good advice on that and how of to Of course, and the authority yeah. issues kick in and all of that. But it's a, it's a workable solution mm -hmm. because at least if you're over 30 million and you've got an offshore policy, it doesn't increase your state duty liability. Because that's always the problem here. Whatever you buy, you've increased your state duty. Exactly. Now it's that, you know, it doesn't matter when you bought the policy, exactly. state duty is 25%. And, and this can take you over 30 million and push you into the higher bracket, mm. whereas a dollar life wouldn't. Yeah. Olivia, good evening. We'll go ahead with the question. <coughs> evening, Brian. The e-mail system does not pay for donation tax declaration. Does one have to complete any forms? Honey? Um, you do a donation. I mean, you know, you do a donation. I, I think there was a form that there you is, need to copy. But there is there a section in the in e-filing? It's a very good question. And I saw that there yeah. was a concern about that. Because particularly if you're going, how many months have you got, Gordon, before you've got to do that form? I think I it's three it months. A, yeah, I thought it was a month for dividends. Yeah, yeah it could be three, three months. months yeah, yeah, so it's a very good question that. There was a concern that was raised with the issue with e-filing. Because it's not so easy to just do that form on e-filing. And you've got to submit that form. It's a SARS IT144. Exactly. So, you do, so then if you can't, you have to submit it separately. So you can't just declare, in your, in your, in, in just declare that I've made a donation, husband and wife made 200,000 donations to their children. You need to do that in that particular form. You see, mm -hmm. that form is particularly for that. Yeah. And it doesn't link in neatly into the e-filing system. It was raised already with SARS. So what, what would you suggest, Harry? You're going to have to do it manually. I mean, you're going to have no option. And, you've, and if you've done a donation in tax year ending 2018, you've still got time to, to do that. To do that. Yeah. That's yeah. a very good question, that. Mm. Amy, good evening. Go ahead with the question, please. Hi there. Um, I've, I'm a beneficiary of a trust, and I've had conflicting advice as to whether distribution of a capital gaining trust to a beneficiary against a loan account constitutes interest in terms of Section 7C. Okay, well, that's an ongoing debate. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, there's, there's, there's a difference of opinion on, the, well, on this There's not a simple answer to this because it's obviously so new. I mean, all the, all the speakers that I've heard on this say it depends on a couple of things. First of all, your financial statements to the trust. Because I've seen a lot of those trusts reflected in the financial statements as a loan to the beneficiary. And of course, if it does that, then you're going to have a problem with 7C. It should not reflect it in the how financials. Would you, how would you reflect it if you made a distribution? Or a distribution not yet vested in the beneficiary or vested not yet paid out. You know, it's something like that. You must not reflect it as a loan in the financials. Which I think is the normal route that people follow. Is, is yes. that the gain is triggered to get the benefit of the lower tax rate of the natural person as opposed to exactly. then taxing it in the trust. It gets distributed 
or vested yeah. ownership changes to the hands of the beneficiary. But because they don't want to... You don't pay them out. Yeah, yeah. they don't want to actually deplete the investment. They credit it against the loan. Particularly if it's a minor again. You see, yeah. if it's a minor with a low tax rate, that's an ideal little yeah. tax shelter. But you don't want the little guy to actually get the money. So you credit him, but you hold the money back in the trust. Yeah. So now, if, so that, if now that's reflected as a loan, you will you have, would to, have to charge 70 70 70 70 yeah. You must not reflect it as a loan. You yeah. reflect it as an unpaid out distribution, if it were. Well, let's go to our email. Bongani in Johannesburg says, what is the meaning of a family trust? What must I do if I want to start a family trust? And what are the advantages of starting a family trust? And he go then goes on, is it advisable to have a family trust to allow the family trust to also own shares in JSC listed companies as well as shares in the business well, that I own? How long have we got, Brian? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but but, but th th this is what a lot of people do ask is, what is the benefit of a trust? I mean, the trust, you've got to have, you've got to set up a trust for the right reasons. For yeah. reasons. Everyone thinks of a family trust protecting assets, but it isn't really only that. You know, no, I mean, I would it say sounds good to have a trust. It's a nice way to keep those shares looked after for the family. So Bongani, if he bought the shares in his own name and something happens to him, the shares have to pass to his family, there's all the duties, there's all the transfer issues. This way I can stay in the trust, and if he dies, nothing needs to change. Assuming those shares are always going to stay in the trust. I mean, if he's planning to trade them or to sell them, then it would be a pointless exercise. Because obviously the CGT rates and the income tax rates are so much higher in a trust. So the real question to me, Gordon, is what does he want to do with those shares? Is it a long-term holding? Is it there for the family? Or is he going to trade shares? So automatically, because I mean the difficulty, Gordon, you must have seen over the years, many people have got trust and got to put nothing in it. I think that yes. I was, was going to follow on from what uh, Harry had said is that we've also got to look at the quantum because there's no point in creating a trust for a minimal amount of wealth because the way trusts have moved as well is that Bongani is going to have to bring in a third independent trustee. Mm. He's going to have to do the financial statements. When he introduces money into the trust, he has to charge interest on it in terms of 7C. So there's a whole lot of factors that have made the establishment of a trust a lot more complicated than what it was maybe three, four years ago. So I would suggest to Bongani that he should really sit down with someone and, and have a, I mean, it's a, it's a good long hour discussion mm. what he's just raised. Yeah. And did you think say. about why actually even wants to set up yeah. a trust? I mean, that's the starting off point. I, I used to get a lot of people who would come in and say, I'd really like to set up a trust. And then the simple question is, why? And then they would answer similar to what Harry has said. Well, I've got minor children and I want to make sure it's catered for. Then you could actually create a similar scenario through his will by using a testamentary trust. So you've protected the value of the assets for the children if they're under age. And you haven't got the costs of setting it up and running it until that point. So again, I think Bongani should sit down with someone and discuss yeah, it. He did talk about JSC listed shares. So maybe he spoke about listed shares and his own business shares. Yeah, so maybe he's yes. got yes. There, could yeah. Yeah. there could be a difference as well. Correct. And there could be a fair amount of wealth there where maybe a trust could pay. So yeah. it depends on the facts. Yeah. Yeah. Philip in Janusburg says, last week I dealt with a question related to me transferring 10 million rand offshore directly to my trust. I've been told that cannot be done and that I first have to open up a bank account onshore, offshore, transfer the funds to my own account and then to the trust. No. Well, firstly, a trust can't apply for the 10 million yeah, correct. only an individual can. I think what she's alluding to is, is that can she go from her South African authorized dealer straight into a trust investment or bank account? We haven't had problems with that. Hmm. And, and how would that... Well, maybe I mean, the how only thing I'm thinking of is maybe if it's amnesty money. Because I remember under amnesty money, 
they weren't allowing you to put it straight into an offshore trust. There yeah. was some issue. Maybe that was the what it you could be. But, yeah, but if if you apply for whatever allowance up to that ten million, you can, do you can put it straight into your trust. Yeah, you you can, can actually you can ask your trustees where must the tra- yeah. money be transferred, yeah. and then how Free would you trust. reflect it? Would, would you would you reflect it as a loan? It's a loan. Yeah. yeah. And then, but there's about seven C doesn't apply to no. offshore trust. No, because no. where it applies, as Gordon will tell you. Yeah. yeah. The transfer pricing stuff. It's actually so. I mean, it's it's quite something that that I come across a lot. Is that a lot of people are under the impression that 7C is applicable for loans between residents to offshore trusts. And it's not. In fact, 7C expressly excluded Correct. affected yeah. transactions. So Section 31 governs loans, not 7C. Okay, well, we're going to take a break. You're watching New New Money. We're talking estate planning this evening. You can still call us on 011-483-1518. We'll continue to answer emails when we return. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to your new money. We're talking estate planning this evening. Harry Joffe and Gordon Stewart are my guests. Angelique in East London says, please explain what the words in a will and trust mean when you leave assets to lawful and natural children. What happens if you have adopted children? Well, it's a great question because yeah. there was a case about two months ago where that were, it was a 1950 odd trust and was left only to lawful children. And these were children that weren't from that marriage, lawful, you know, lawfully created in that marriage. They were adopted children after that. And there was a huge fight all the way to the Supreme Court of Appeal. So I wouldn't even want to leave that in, that in those words. I would be very clear if I'm setting up a trust what I mean by children, including adopted or not including adopted. Mm. Because this case we had, the individual expressly excluded adopted children. He said lawful children means lawful children only of our marriage. And they were adopted children and the person had died and they couldn't be added on. Well, the person setting up the trust wouldn't have realised that at the time that wording was so descriptive. Well, this case he actually did because his wife couldn't have any more children. And that was actually what sunk her because the, the judge said, we're not changing that because he knew what he was doing. And he didn't want it to be changed. Harry, we're not only talking about trust. I mean, would that clause be in a law, in a will? Well, often you say, I leave it to my children. And then I always say to the clients, be quite clear. You should actually name them who they are. I'm not sure what you think about that. I like the children to be named mm. because often you find dad dies and then a few other children start jumping out of the woodwork and say, we're also children. You see that in all, I the, suppose the, all the American cases. Yeah, it boils down to also legitimate and illegitimate children. Yes. And I stand corrected. It's a long time ago. But was, there, was it not held that illegitimate children... That term illegitimate no longer applies. Correct. And They're as legitimate as anyone else. Exactly. Now. Exactly. And the other thing we found, I saw a very interesting case in the UK where dad left his assets to his son. Uh, I think it was Henry. And by the time dad had died, the son had become his daughter, Henriette. <laughs> and that could create issues as well. So you must just, you know, you must think these things through. Well, you've got to read, first thing, you've also got to read how many people read their trusts and how many read people their actually read their wills and update the yeah. wills, yeah. Ruth, um, Ruthie in Santon says, we have a trust where the beneficiaries are our two children and four grandchildren. We've been distributing the taxable income only to our two children. Is this correct? And on our death, if the children start distributing to the grandchildren, could this create problems? I think it's perfectly, you can, you can it's perfectly stock you can standard. You don't have yeah, to benefit everyone trust, I would assume. And yeah. you can change the distribution. And, 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 I think, and also just from practical experience, often it's whilst there might be good tax advantages in passing down to grandchildren because of their age and their tax, their tax rates, 
Again, we now sit with the problem of loan accounts in Section 7C. And miners and, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of the times you don't want to create wealth in the, in the hands of a child who's possibly not mature enough to be able to handle that wealth. And he then gets married and he can have an issue with his spouse and then that asset can yeah. be dragged into the divorce. I mean, you've got to think more than tax. Yeah. Don't have to tax the tail wag the investment dog, dog as we yeah. always say. Norman and Zanton says, I recently got married and entered into an ANC agreement whereby I donated a property to my wife. The master has asked for the ANC and the title deeds of the property. Am I going to have to pay donation tax and surely not every ANC get lodged with the master's office? The master only requires the will once they've been formed of death. No, you do. The master wouldn't call that. No, you register your marital contract in the deeds office. In the the deeds deeds office, office, yeah. You have to register the ANC Mm. before you get married in the deeds office. Otherwise, there's no formal ANC. Yeah. So then, so then, so then, the 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 deeds office would want to to see. Or so why have they called? So they've called for the ANC, but then they would have the deeds. Well, maybe the ANC. You see, the master probably wants to see what the cars are for this transaction, and the cars that would be the ANC where he's donating it to. Yeah, but there's no donations the tax payable. No, probably uh, wrong. Pro- probably yeah, it yeah, must, yeah, must be the deeds office. Must be the deeds office. Because yeah. the they're not registered with the master. And the master no donations tax uh, between the spouses. Yeah. No, anyway. the master's not involved with property anyway. No, it's only on a death. So that's okay, Cheryl and Jansberg said, do I have any defence where, where I have understated my income because of a genuine bona fide error? Sure. Well, yeah. You can always go back to SARS. Yeah. I mean, there's always this ongoing voluntary VDP, as it's That's called. That's still in existence, mm-hmm. even Continuous after the yeah, special correct. voluntary disclosure program. So you can always go back to SARS and say, I made an error. I'm yeah. sorry. Here's a tax I've underpaid. Here's yeah. what I owe you. You're, they'll make you pay, obviously, interest. Interest. But they'll let you off penalties. They'll let, I was going to say, they'll, let, they'll waive the penalties. And there's no criminal conviction nah. or anything. Teddy sorry, Brian, just get to them before they get to you. That's always the bottom yeah. line. Ted in Johannesburg says, my wife and I have a joint investment. This is our second marriage for both of us. I'm uncomfortable to leave my shares of the investment to my wife mm. because once she inherits from me and subsequently dies, the assets will go to her grandchild, okay. whereas I have 11 others. We don't want to form a trust. So can I give a usufruct over the asset with the right to use capital if necessary, and then whatever's left on her death will be divided between 12 children? Oh. Can you give usufruct on, on an investment? You can. Yes. You can yes. I know you can on a property. Anything. Yes, no, you can but give it's it over anything. Brian, it's so yes. messy because who's the owner? Who's got, got the right? I mean, usufruct over shares, for example. There's been a lot of cases on it. It's very messy yeah. because the dividends I have to pay to a certain party and the owner is then the person the dividends has to go to, but the usufruct is not the owner. I, I hate you can't, you can't change the investment without the bare minimum Correct. owner's and often consent. the owner will just do what they so want. So how would you do it if you don't create a trust? You must create a trust. I yeah. mean, it's not that you don't, you must, yeah. Because yeah. there's, I mean, you've got also, just to come back to it, you've got the conflict of interest. The usufructory is looking for the highest possible yield. The bare minimum is looking for the highest possible growth yeah. on, the, on that asset. On that asset. <coughs> so the two never go together. There's a great article written on what is a share for usufructory purposes. Is it a real usufructor or a quasi-usufructor? Mm. You get into such complicated Roman Dutch law here. But so I don't like it at all. Just to come back it. to, I mean, he said that they have a joint investment account. South Africa doesn't have joint investments. So it must be an offshore then. Or they're married in community. Or maybe. they're married it's in community. But if it's a local investment, they might have both put in, but there'll be 50-50 owners. They must have a trust. That's the yeah. bottom line, Brian. Hitty and Janisberg said, due to unique, unique circumstances, I've excluded one of my children from my will and have no doubt she'll try to contest the will. I've not let the assets directly to my other children, but left them via a testamentary trust. If they did contest it, is there any additional protection if I've created an inter trust now or a testamentary trust on death? 
Now, I think first and foremost is that in terms of our law, whilst you have freedom of testation, mm. there's always the door. What's it? The, the, the Child Act? Or maintenance. The basic maintenance. maintenance. You've got an obligation to maintain your children yeah. if they need and, and so obviously a certain age. So that person would then have to go and get an actuarially calculated claim against the estate. And that would then be lodged before the estate okay. pays out the residue of the assets to the trust that she has created. But let's assume they're majors. Let's assume and there's no older. obligation and to there's support no obligation. No. Is there any difference no. if you create an intervivus no. trust? No. I mean, if they're going to contest, contest the will, they're going to contest exactly, the will. Yeah. Intervivus, so I would prefer because it means everything's up and running as soon as the contesting starts. True. Whereas testamentary, you're still waiting. And intervivus, you can put a whole lot of clauses in to try and fight that. Mm. But, you if you haven't, but, but if you haven't transferred assets into that intervivus trust, if it is a bottom draw trust. Yeah, but no. even so, it would be set up now at least, so you'd have the clauses you want in that deed. Now, for example, the Americans always put a clause in, and it's not tested in South Africa. If you contest a will at all, you automatically cut out of the estate. It's called a non-contestation clause. So in America, they normally accept it. In, in England, for example, it might be against public policy. We haven't had cases yet no. on that. So but if you, if you haven't created the, the trust yet, you just created a bottom draw. Yeah. And there's going to be... But a contest trust is still a valid trust. Yes, but, yeah. but the assets still got to be transferred sure. to that. Yeah. So they're contesting the will. The, it'll make absolutely no difference but, but which, which, if it's testamentary or interview. But your clauses, that's what I'm saying. The, at least clauses. the clauses in the trust are out, yes. But I think what, you know, if we look at it from a sequence of events, is that she will pass away and the claim will then come into the estate for the maintenance. The trust is going to be the ultimate beneficiary. So whether it's a testamentary trust or an mm. intervivos trust, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference because that's only going to receive the residue net of the claim for maintenance. But maybe if it's intervivos, it, it will help because uh, the trustees will be up and running and you know, they can fight it. At least you can choose your trustees. Whereas in a testamentary, you can choose your trustees, but it's normally the executive who's involved. Mm -hmm. I just prefer intervivos. Yeah. Well, estate planning may be very simple, but in some cases, the process involves the realignment of all of one's assets and how these are used during one lifetime and ultimately to the benefit of the beneficiaries. We all know the saying, and I quote, where there's a will, there's a way. In estate planning, this is not true. A, where there's a will, there's a relative. And planning one's estate does not take a lot of time, but without this, it could have a major impact on your beneficiaries. Gordon, Harry, thank you very Thanks much for joining me. Thanks, Brad. It's important to note that our program tonight is provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program will focus on investments, and if you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. Thank you for watching. Good night.